Hello and welcome to Not Another Education Podcast, the podcast where we can't promise you'll learn anything. But if you like great chat and awesome guests, then stay put, you are in the right place. A double welcome to this Easter special of the show. You spoke and we listened. We have some listeners out there who have started looking for alternative careers to teaching. And the general feeling is that you guys love teaching, but you want to do something else. Today, I'm joined by Mr. Baker. Not a stage name, his name actually is Mr. Baker. Rob is a former primary school teacher and baking extraordinaire. He's only recently left teaching to combine his passion for baking and teaching by opening a baking school. We can all relate to that. I love the background. Thanks. I actually, I'll confess, I spent ages arranging things and then I decided <laughs> it was too busy. So I stripped it back to what it was before. Yeah, but I can see like, like a couple of different cakes there. Have you moved stuff around? Uh, possibly. I don't know, to be <laughs> honest. Um, th- this one is, it was my most recent YouTube video and that was recreate, I'm, I'm basically recreating um, famous YouTubers cakes, but not baking YouTubers, other YouTubers who have ventured into the baking space for the odd video. <laughs> so that was uh, Keith from the Try Guys and one of their Without a Recipe videos. And this week we're baking along with um, Sophia Nygaard. So if anyone nice. knows YouTubers, hopefully that will mean something to them. How was it with the Try Guys? Um, well, I, I will confess I'm not baking with them. They, well, they do know I exist because they saw the video, but um, I'm literally watching their video and then baking along, along with that. I don't think I'm quite at the heady heights of uh, collaborating with the, the Try Guys just yet, but you never know. <laughs> no, they're cool. I do like the Try Guys. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we can, we can just jump right into it, Rob. Um, mm-hmm. A huge big welcome to Mr. Baker's Cakes. We've got Rob Hello. Baker here. Um, I, I mean, I, I just find it kind of incredible because that is your real name, isn't it? Rob Baker. It is, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't really do anything else, could I? No. <laughs> I just wonder, like, it just fits so perfectly, doesn't it, into, like, what you do, so. <laughs> it does, but nobody ever believes it's my real name, I have to say. Whenever I do, like, a live appearance and people come up afterwards and they always say, so what's your real name? And I'm like, no, no, that's, that's it. Yeah, no, like, because so many stage names, though, isn't there, like, but, yeah. But it's really nice that it's, like, I don't know, like, self-fulfilling prophecy, almost, like, you were born to do this. Well, I always love to tell the story that my grandmother, who I'm sure we'll talk about more in a moment, but she was Mrs. Baker, but her maiden name was Cook. Oh! definitely in the blood. Yeah, that's so funny. Is that, like, a family joke, is it, that she was Cook and and then she was Baker? Mm-hmm. Was she good at cooking as well? Oh yeah, absolutely. She she was one of those like quintessential, like stereotypical grandmothers who everything was homemade from scratch. They used to make their own jams, they made their own wines, um, all the birthday cakes, Christmas cakes, pastry, you name it. Essentially, at her house, everything was made from scratch. Oh, that's so lovely. Do you have like a like a favorite dish that you would like associate with her? Um, all of the Christmas dishes. I, I essentially think my entire baking career has been trying to replicate some of the things she used to make when I was a child, essentially. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I hear you. I mean, I don't we don't really have any 
really, really good cooks in our in our family. We have like a lot of like people from like different like so my brother in law is Swedish. Mm-hmm. So he makes like the traditional Swedish meatballs and like he's really good at like some of like the strangest Swedish dishes that I've kind of been like switched on to. Um and then my other brother in law is Welsh. So like we get like loads of like weird and wonderful stuff from that. But we don't really have anybody who is like exceptional you know and let's hope none of them are watching right now in case they consider themselves exceptional no I've had like this like conversation with them to be fair I'm like like oh I cook I'm like but you don't like like putting a ready meal in the oven is not cooking I'm sorry it's not (laughs) (laughs) you can't claim that even though it's really yummy you can't claim that (laughs) I don't but I do think there's like definitely like a revival of like you know people wanting to go back to the the roots of this kind of stripped back cooking, working with your hands, really enjoying the process of making something from scratch. Like, you know, I think so. I think especially with so many people at home over the last two years, people have had time to really, as you say, start cooking again rather than just reheating. And I do think there's some, uh, you know, we can thank some of the the TV shows, your master chefs and bake-offs and things for that. But also, um, I know so many people that buy into these subscription boxes. Oh, yeah. Um, I've never yeah, tried yeah. one myself, but <laughs> I know so many people that do. And I, I just think it's fantastic because they still get people cooking. Yeah, like, and I think, like, what's nice about those is that, because I've tried those. I've tried a few of them. And mainly just to see what, like, the fuss was about. The, what, the one that I tend to stick with, I haven't done it in ages, though. The one that we had for the longest was, like, Gusto. And mm-hmm. a little shout out to Gusto, but it worked really well. But then I was like, because all the stuff comes and like individual things, I was like, I'm not convinced that this is very good for the planet in general. Is it is it plastic wrapped then? Well, like, yeah, like all the meat. And like, this is partly the reason I'm like vegetarian is like very vacuum packed mm-hmm. and never looks very happy. Like, it, oh you know, like if you imagine like the best way a meat could be dressed, it's not that. Well, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm vegetarian as well and have been since I was a child. But I was I was going to say if Gusto are watching and want to do a collaboration, but they're probably not going to want to do one now. <laughs> no, I, it's like I think it's like the supplier that they that they use maybe. And like, I don't know. And then they have like little pots of like stuff that you like mix in. And to mm-hmm. be fair, like some of my favorite things that I cook have come from gusto I will say that but it kind of did get me into cooking and make me realize that it's not it's not as scary as it looks and then you can because if you know like certain flavors go certain things and you can kind of experiment mm-hmm. in other ways that's kind of how I saw it anyway and then I've tried a few other of those boxes but essentially like I've always just wanted to be like that type of person who cooks like I, I like I like the idea of my family coming home and like smelling like fresh bread or, you know, like yeah. nice fresh food and ingredients and not having. I think for me, sorry, I'm totally talking no. over you. That will be a theme of this whole chat, I'm sure. <laughs> um, for me, because I, as I say, I went vegetarian when I was 10 years old and I was the only vegetarian in my family. So I had to learn how to cook because my parents were really supportive of, of me choosing to give up meat. But they also didn't have time to cook two separate meals every night. So I basically had to learn to cook. And I'll be honest, I was having the chat the other day that the 
kind of the the fake meat alternatives that existed um that long ago i was about to age myself there but people don't need to know but um (laughs) um but yeah the the quality of the fake meat produce that was around in those days was absolutely dire so you had to learn how to to as you say experiment with flavors and different things and i think it's for that reason that to this day i I, I w- I'm not somebody who buys a jar of sauce or a or a ready meal or something. I would always my my default instinct is to make things myself from scratch. Yeah, and like you know what's like cool with those boxes as well. I don't know if they all do it, but Gusto does. You order like your meals right, and like the favorite one I do is one pot puttanesca, mm-hmm. and the history of it is it tells like the history, like a little little story. It's story time now, apparently. Um, and essentially, it was something that prostitutes would make for their clients because yep. you've got that word puta in there, which I think is Italian and Spanish for whore, essentially. And which is very like oldie worldy, isn't it? But like they would make it for their clients and it would all be in like one part. And um, yeah, they just, and I'm not being funny, but that's worth it alone. <laughs> That recipe is but like again, uh, as you say, yeah. The 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 there's so much, especially with traditional dishes. There's so much history, and I mean, you saying about how your brother-in-law cooks traditional Swedish dishes and things like that. Half of the joy of food is is the history that goes into where these things come from. And I mean, I love like international food, and there are so many cultures where again, vegetarianism has been, you know, fully embraced for far longer than it has here in the UK. And so some of the best vegetarian dishes come from, you know, Middle Eastern countries and, and places like uh, uh, Lebanon and Ooh, Turkey yeah. and, and South American countries like Mexico. And, and yeah, just those are the sorts of things that get me really excited about food. Because, I mean, I'll be honest, I do default to like pasta or some form of vegetable stew like 90% of the time. So if I'm going to like make an effort and really get stuck into something, quite serious and complicated I will look to kind of more traditional um cultural recipes from all around the world and yeah it gets me really excited yeah like I mean it's clearly like something you're very passionate about and if we take it back a little bit I mean we were talking about your grandmother but like just like the birth of like Mr Baker's cakes like it'd be really nice to kind of hear that story I know we've talked a little bit about it but I think it'd be really cool to share that story yeah, well, it's kind of, it's a bit of a bittersweet story, to be honest, because um, obviously, like some children of, of our generation, I did get to do some baking with her and some cooking with her. And also my um, my auntie Angela, who is one of those random adults in your family who isn't actually related at all, but was just always there. Yeah, sure. So she did lots of baking with us too. Um, but I've, as I say, I grew up just it being the norm that I had a homemade birthday cake from my grandmother. And at Christmas, she would deliver Christmas cakes and Christmas puddings and mince pies. These things were always homemade. And it was when she actually passed away when I was in my very early 20s that I suddenly thought, that's not going to happen anymore. No, there's nobody else in the family who does what she does. And so it was kind of at that point that I, I basically took it upon myself to learn how to bake. Um, and there was, uh, I have to say a big shout out to Delia Smith because Delia Smith's Christmas, um, fantastic book. If you haven't got it, oh, it's a good it was one. Very much my, my go-to for Christmas cake and Christmas pudding. And then, um, BBC Good Food magazine 
the first year I ever hosted Christmas at my house, um, I basically bought the the December issue of the magazine and cooked everything from it, like every single course. In fact, this isn't set up, but I've <laughs> used it in a video recently. I still have it. Oh, look so at that. So this is BBC Good Food magazine from 2009. Oh, and, wow. Um, literally everything. So the turkey, the side dishes, the desserts, even this Christmas pudding ice cream made an appearance that year. Oh, nice. And just kind of over the years since, I've just got more and more into it. And I guess Mr. Baker's Cakes happened probably about seven to eight years ago um when one of my work colleagues at the time basically said I know you do lots of baking would you do a birthday cake for my daughter and at the time I'd never decorated a cake in my life other than you know traditional royal icing a marzipan on a Christmas cake or a bit of chocolate drizzle on a chocolate cake and I just decided you know what I'm going to give this a go I got a bit carried away I'll be honest with you I bought an airbrush I carved the cake I made a modeling chocolate sculpture of a castle. It was a frozen themed cake. So I literally did the frozen castle on the mountainside with the snow. And and um, I was hooked from then on. And just ever since, I've just loved it. And so I created social media pages in the name of Mr. Baker's Cakes, because I am Mr. Baker and they are my cakes. <laughs> and I had a few cakes go viral, um, including I did a Harry Potter cake gosh, probably about seven years ago. And it was just as many things from the film as I could put onto one board, essentially. So I had a stack of books, including the Monster Book of Monsters. I had the Sorting Hat. There were um, Bertie Botts' Every Flavour Beans, uh, Hermione's Magic Bag from the Deathly Hallows film. You name it, I found a way to squeeze it in there. And that cake went viral and had something like three and a half million views in space of a week which for a tiny little cake page for me with my hobby was absolute insanity and kind of from then on it, it's just exploded madness I honestly think though when people are sort of existing in like that digital space when they see somebody like so passionate and so excited about something and you know no, ma no matter how easy because I always feel like when you watch like chefs or like bakers on tv they make it look very effortless. But when you see like the final product, you're like, oh my God, like that is insane. Like that is literally the most amazing thing. Like some of the cakes you've you've even got there. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't even know where to start. I, I literally it's, I literally wouldn't rob. <laughs> it's it's I think that there's very much two different kind of things going on though, particularly with my work, because one of the, the biggest complaints you often hear about, say, um, like sugar paste or ready to roll icing decorated cakes is people always have that default mentality of, oh, I bet it doesn't taste very good. And yeah. I always have considered myself a baker first. So regardless of what it looks like, if it doesn't taste absolutely perfect, then for me, it's it's not good enough. So I think there's the baking side of things and then there's the decorating side of things. And so, like, one doesn't have to be, like, arty and a sculptor to be able to make really delicious, tasty cakes. I completely stand by that. But, yeah. <clears throat> because, so, I I got, I've always, like, really liked baking. So, I'd say, like, about five, six years ago, I got, like, for Christmas, like, a bunch of baking stuff. Like, like all different, like, pipe nozzles and some, like, 
cute kind of decoration stuff, like a bunch of books on basically how to decorate cakes. Because I think my family like started to realize that, you know, she can, she can make a sponge. It's just mm-hmm. how shit it looks after it. And then by <laughs> default, like people, people like taste of the rise. Like they don't want to eat a cake that looks like one of five-year-olds made it and two, like someone sat on it because the middle sun. <laughs> but like, I, I'm, I'm a very like, I don't know, self-branded, creative, improvisational baker in the sense that before I had a set of scales, like well, this is when I first left home at my mum and dad's and I got like my first apartment. I just basically like winged it and thought, oh, that looks about right. You know, that that tastes okay. And then I just like put it in the oven and say, that looks brown enough. And then that was kind of like, I'd make my own own sort of things. And you know, nine times out of 10, it'd be okay. But the, and, the, the, and ultimately, that if it like these things generally do taste good, you know, when you see people posting their baking fails and things online, if it tastes good, ultimately, that's the most important thing. Yeah, like I mean, but then we we we've been making like my son's birthday cakes. This will be the first year that we don't, just because like I feel like. The stakes are high. Parents are coming. Other other parents <laughs> will see this. Like I remember the first year we baked his cake, and we bought these like little icing figurines off Amazon, mm-hmm. um, like little animals they were, and then we just did like royal icing over the top, like a big sheet, and then I kind of like left my my um partner with it, and he decided to go a bit nuts of the icing sugar, like a sprinkle. You mean like do like a little sprinkle? He like literally just tipped it on. So when the poor poor kid like blew out the candles it was like a big cloud of powder it looked ridiculous and I was like oh <laughs> but you know it, it it was okay and I think one of the reasons that you know I, I think like your social is so like attractive is that you know it makes people feel like it's okay like if your bake doesn't work out the first time and it's almost like everybody can do this like it's not this well, mega like exactly, scary thing like yeah. just have a go essentially right that's exactly what I I want to do because yes I was lucky enough to have that history of of my grandmother baking with me and things but I wouldn't ever say that she you know literally sat me down and was like this is how you do this and this is how you do that and I think that lots of us did miss out on that experience um you know I grew up with both my parents working children today quite often grow up with both their parents working and they don't have time or necessarily have the skills to pass on to their children so I'm very passionate about teaching adults you know as you say that this is achievable and that anyone can do it but also about hooking in that next generation as well and getting them passionate about baking too and I think again I referenced it already but the Great British Bake Off caused such an amazing resurgence in the popularity of Bake Off but now we almost need to keep that momentum going because actually you know home baking and home cooking and things are such vitally important life skills and and yet particularly in schools we both know that budgets for these things and facilities and infrastructure for these things are rapidly disappearing and so if we're not going to do it at home, where are we going to do it? Well, this is it. Like, I mean, you've made me actually just reflect on like the skills I kind of passed on to Charlie. And I'm, I mean, I'm always cooking something like, and I feel like I fit and I'm like really conscious about how I fit into the stereotype of mum in the kitchen. Like, and I'm always really conscious of that because I'm the first mm-hmm. up, I'll make coffee and I'm like, 
I'm not bringing you coffee in bed, like that sort of thing, you know? So I'm very conscious of what stereotypes he like, he might see. But then it's like, I never actually like, oh, this is how we like, you know, reduce this. Or this is how we make like a good gravy. Or this is how, you know, we can make a pancake batter. And just like nice things that we do, we do bake. We do bake cakes together. Um, and that's mainly because, well, like you were saying, it's so important to have those vital skills. Like last year when the world basically stopped and had no idea what it was doing, we we bought these chickens and it was like a really weird thing to have chickens because we don't have a lot of land, but we we're like, oh, we'll have mm-hmm. eggs. So we started baking all this stuff, but I never baked banana bread because I don't know. It just felt like quite a strange craze. Did you ever get on? Well, do you know that? what? I didn't either. Yeah. And I made a point of not. But <laughs> having said that, two weeks ago, I finally published my banana bread recipe yes, online. So if that. you fancy giving it a go, <laughs> yeah. let me know. Well, the best banana bread I've ever had, we we lived abroad and this like scouse couple ran the cafeteria where where we were like going to school. And they used to make their own banana bread. And it was like, I can't really describe it. It's kind of like th- there was like banana in the actual like sponge, but then also mm-hmm. in the middle, it was like mushy banana. So it's like a, okay. like a vic- and I've never seen it since. I've always just seen like literally like a loaf, like banana bread, like you would imagine. Mm-hmm. But it was honestly the best thing ever. Like it was so sweet. And like they'd have like, like a dried banana that you get from the supermarket yes. on top with like some toffee. Oh, it's amazing i don't even know where they are gordon and leslie um but i hope they're okay and that that was like literally that's what i used to like literally live on when i was like 13 not good bless you i've completely sidetracked you now though you were talking about how you started baking in during lockdown oh my god yeah but we like we would literally just make like little cakes and i get quite precious over it because they were all uneven you know in the cake cases before you put them in the oven so some would be mega and some would morph together and then some would just like not do, some would just not rise. I'm like, oh, and then Charlie's like literally eating the entire mix. And I'm like trying to spoon it in quick enough before he finishes it. Do you like, yeah, sounds familiar. do you still like taste the mix as well? Like when you're baking? Um, it, it Honestly, it depends. Um, obviously, a, a lot of what I do now is recipe development. So I work with brands like Kenwood um, and I produce and host the Kenwood Kids Club. So every week um, I I basically do a, well, it's not live anymore, but a, a live cook along that children can come and join in with. And of course, I need a new recipe every single week. And I'll oh, be honest gosh. with you at the start, because we've been running now for, gosh, coming up a year and a half actually um but yes um every single week a new recipe is required and right at the beginning where I was only just getting into developing my own recipes suddenly it was like madness so yeah I'd have like multiple batches of the same thing on the go and I'd be like how does that taste what about that one what about that one <laughs> trying to find out which one would be the best one um but when it comes to like the the normal cakes that I literally bash out day after day literally I I just know that if I put all that stuff in that's going to be perfect so I can't help myself like I feel like I would just eat cake butter if I wasn't so frightened of salmonella I'm going to be honest with you I put on about three stone during lockdown because (laughs) all I did was eat my own bakes so (laughs) I can relate (laughs) yeah I mean we, we we tend to at home like a lot of the time I'm kind of ashamed to say this to you we tend to buy those like uh cake sets you know where it's like 
basically the batter already and you just like add egg and like oh okay yeah yeah um i think just because it's a little bit easy for like a three-year-old to do that but i mean i kind of like the idea of like him experimenting with the different ingredients and textures and that and that sort of thing and you know, I I, th- I think one of the, I mean, you, I, I know you're going to tell us about your grand plans anyway, but it's kind of just understanding. It's like a science really, isn't it? Like understanding how like oh, the different absolutely. like ingredients, what they do yeah. and yeah. In fact, I have a t-shirt and I have a t-shirt line, by the way, everyone, you can buy them at my website. Um, <laughs> but I have a t-shirt that says that baking is chemistry you can eat. It absolutely is a science. And if you don't get those ratios of ingredients right, the bake won't come out perfectly. Whether it's if you put too much flour in, you end up with a really dense kind of bready type cake. If you put too much butter in, your cake will basically melt into a pool of grease and it will be really crispy and dry. If you put too much sugar in, again, you end up with this like caramelization that gives you essentially a burnt cake. All of these things, just the slightest variation on that ratio of equal parts will give you different results. So... It, yeah, it's definitely a science, a science and an art form combined. Yeah. And I mean, I, I I think this is, I mean, for anybody like me, just kind of looking on your social channels and following along on YouTube, like I think most would presume that this is like, you you just like do this all day, every day, but like, and that is soon to be the case, but you know, that's, that's not where you've been, is it? Like you've been doing no. other stuff as well. Yeah, so in when I first started getting the serious about things, I guess, after I made that that frozen cake, I was actually still working full time as a primary school teacher in Upper Key Stage 2. And um, it was kind of almost like an escape from the, the demands of teaching. I'm, I, I will confess that probably for the, the first five plus years of being a teacher I was still that super keen NQT type who you know I had keys to the school and I would go in on a Sunday to put all new displays up and yeah um sure if, if there was a way to make a resource that involved like 15 different types of laminating then that was what I would make um and it took me a long time to realize that actually there's more to life than just the job and the baking and the cake decorating was almost my way of forcing myself to do something else besides teaching or schoolwork. Um, And then about three years ago now, I made the decision to go part-time. And I kind of had a school move at the same time. And so for the last three years, I've been still working part-time as a primary school teacher, now in Key Stage 1 and then doing kind of the cakes and the the baking and the content creation and the writing and again clearly workaholic can't help myself (laughs) that's a teacher um, in you that's a teacher absolutely yeah so (laughs) kind of trying to do basically trying to do everything yeah and I I completely like resonate with that I mean I one thing that did occur to me when you were saying that is like, how did you keep that super keen NQT vibe up for five years? I could barely last my NQT. <laughs> I mean, I was that, I was that too, you know, like I wanted to just give the best to the kids and do everything and be everything for everyone. And ultimately, like, I think that's what ev- any teacher wants, but it's just not sustainable for like good well-being, you know, and 
And I think that was a lesson I learned the hard way that actually, because it was, I was so focused on, on the schoolwork and making sure everything was perfect and amazing. I didn't look after myself. I didn't, as I said, like maintain a life outside of it. I didn't look after anything really. Um, I worked, the school I worked at at the time was quite an inspiring environment to be in. Um, I'd done my final teaching practice there as a student and having worked there as a student I was desperate to work there in real life but it was one of those schools that's um, an outstanding school it was also uh, an initial teacher training provider it was a teaching school so supporting other schools in the local area and so it gave me the opportunity to do lots of additional things that a normal teacher doesn't necessarily get to do that early in their career Um, but of course if you want to do all those things that's even more plates to have spinning on top of just being a teacher so I I guess part of it was just being in that environment but also being surrounded by incredibly talented and inspiring teachers made you want to be as good as them yeah it's like you want to kind of I suppose just be the best you can be but Mm -hmm. and I, I think I think everybody deserves that environment and it's such it's so common that you know, what we're talking about, I think it happens the world over. Like I, I don't, in a, not in a disrespectful way, but it's not, it's not a unique situation where teachers are just like constantly burnt out and you know, that they, they lack maybe the, the support. And I think it does make a difference where you, where you train for sure. And those like initial impressions of what school life is once you leave, like studying, because it is, mm-hmm. it is wildly different. And I think, you know, when I look back on it, honestly, I I don't know, one, how I did it. And secondly, I kind of also think that I have so many different facets to my life now that I'm so much happier with. And I just wish that I could have had that as well as teaching. And I just... I'll be honest, I look at, like, especially now as a part-time teacher... I look at the people doing it full time and I look at the people doing it full time whilst perhaps having young families at home and things like that. And I honestly do not know how they do it. Um, Yes, fair enough. I struggle to balance running a business alongside being a teacher. But ultimately, if I have to cancel a, a commission or not upload a YouTube video that week, it's not the end of the world. You can't do that with children. So I, I genuinely live in constant awe and admiration of people who actually manage to do full-time teaching whilst being somebody who has a life outside of teaching. But I honestly, I don't think I could do it. Like after this amount of time, yeah. as you say, I don't know if burnout's the right word, but I'm just exhausted. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you you do essentially, when you weigh up, that is like, let's say this is the type of teacher you want to be and that you know you can be. But like, mm-hmm. for how long, like, before you just like, can't, can't continue with this, because it's like eating into every other facet of your life. I think that then becomes the problem. And I don't know. This- and I, I do want to add a caveat, because I, I in my career, I've worked in four schools. And every single school comes with these pressures. It's not yeah necessarily the management or the team you're working with or of course they can have an impact but these these pressures are on industry is the wrong word but they're they're pressures within the entire teaching 
landscape is that yeah no I know what you mean like it comes from the top and Mm. you know head teachers and senior leaders and middle leaders they're all just trying to do like the best they can do with what they've got and essentially like they've got things that they have to be held accountable for and it kind of filters down and before you know it you've got the NQT sad because they didn't do what they wanted in a lesson observation and then that feels like trivial you know but it's not it's like relative to each each stage Mm. of it isn't it and I, I, I do think that honestly I wish that last year like the powers that be in the government would have looked at it and thought, you know what, we have such a good opportunity here. It's like completely re, re, I guess just sort out the curriculum, just sort it out. So our kids are getting what they want. Their arts are getting the right amount of time that, you know, we're, we're making critical thinkers that have time to do DT and this sort of thing. And I remember when I was at school and um, I'm sure it wasn't the case, but my perception of it was that we basically, if we started a topic and we were really into it, the teacher would just let us run and run with it. And we had that freedom to kind of tailor our own learning. And I mean, I came out of school and did very well academically. So clearly it worked. It might not have worked for everyone, but then the current curriculum doesn't work for everyone. So, yeah, I definitely I, I think a, a reckoning is coming in education, but but yeah, I guess that's a bigger conversation. This than, is, I mean, we can put the yeah. world to rights for ages, couldn't we? Of course Rob? we can. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I think ultimately what you're doing is so, so positive and you're using, you're going on now, aren't you, to use all these amazing skills, all this amazing experience and influence you have in the baking world to bring something amazing to kids. So I'll, I'll hand over to you. You want to tell the audience your amazing new venture? My my grand plan. Yeah, sure. So um, basically, as you may have gathered from uh, Amy and, I, and my conversation, um, I kind of feel like I'm I'm ready for the next stage of my career, and so I've decided to almost combine my teaching and my baking with. Um, by creating a, a baking and cake decorating and cookery school, predominantly for children, where they can come in and they can have fun in the kitchen and learn those life skills and kind of get those those early lessons that perhaps children don't get the opportunity for anymore. And so I'm going to have a dedicated kind of kitchen space with all the workbenches and everything that you might expect And then I'm hoping that I can run classes for like preschool children where they can come in and just get messy with icing. I want to do after school clubs so kids can come straight from school and and learn how to make bread and pastry and cakes and cupcakes and biscuits and cookies and you (laughs) name it. And then um, play schemes. I I used to, when I was a teenager, I used to work in play schemes um, and um, they were some of the best school holidays I ever had. And I'd love to recreate that. But again, by having children coming in every day for a half term and just learning a different type of baking or cooking or something skill, but then also getting adults involved as well and doing, um, you know, parties and, and corporate team building and just getting people excited about food and baking in this kind of beautifully curated space that is so it's like an immersive experience. It's not just like going to your local community center and whipping up a batch of cupcakes, but really feeling like you've had an amazing immersive experience um, and and hopefully learn something that you'll want to carry on when you go home as well. 
I think that's that's the sales pitch. That's the, that's the elevator pitch. I mean, honestly, Rob, like when you told me this news, I'm so excited for you because I, I mean, I don't even know where to start with like in terms of the value that that brings. Like, I guess like I'll start with what stands out to me in the sense that, you know, we 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 really do undervalue or at least we don't put a lot of emphasis on like how good it is for you to work with your hands and get back to basics and and somebody the, the way I learned this right is I did a uh potting class you know where you like mm-hmm. you plant stuff and the the woman running the class told me there's this isn't scientific but bear with me so the woman running the class essentially said that you know there's something in terms of your endorphins in your brain and the serotonin when you touch soil like you know good soil it's it releases something quite like primitive and I feel like Mm -hmm. that's the same with like baking or when you build a fire or you know something that feels you're making something from nothing that's what it is like I mean I just happen to randomly have like a batch of really basic jam tarts next to me um left over from uh, a baking video I shot yesterday literally still sat on the side (laughs) we've basically been eating them between us over the last 24 hours but essentially that was a bag of flour, some butter and some sugar yesterday. And now it's, it, it's that. And that came essentially from nothing. It was just random ingredients I had in the cupboard already. And, and I've made something from nothing. And I think particularly for young children, it, it feels like magic. We, we said it's science, but what do they say that magic is science we don't understand yet? And so for children to be able to mix some stuff in a bowl and then suddenly there's a beautiful, tasty cake... I mean, I, my, my niece is one at the moment and she's just started baking with my sister and she's absolutely loving it. And obviously she's so young, but it is, it's the stirring and the picking things in things and then suddenly she gets to eat something yummy at the end. And I don't think there's anything quite like it. No, like absolutely not. And I, I know like when I've done it in school and I've done like a DT lesson where, I don't know, you'll make like enchiladas or something or you'll bake cake of some sort it's always been like the most exciting thing, right? And I, I honestly think that kids get so much value from it because to them, it just feels right. It feels right that they're making something. It feels rewarding. You know, they're learning constantly without them thinking that they actually are. There's so much value to be had about kids. You know, it's like problem solving and it's math skills and it's mm-hmm. kind of being able to to think in a way that's scientific and logical and follow the recipe and it's also and, and social right all of those kind of evaluator evaluative is that even a word i, I think the skills so. of evaluation yeah. of being able to you know <laughs> is this working do i need to make changes when we're doing writing when we're doing maths and you say to children have you checked your work have you they don't want to they literally would be like it's done i finished it i don't want to do any more but if you say to a child, okay, give that a taste. What do you think? Does it need anything else? Does it need some more sugar? Does it need something on top? They're going to want to do that because it involves them getting to eat something. And so you're teaching them those, those resilient skills and those problem-solving skills, but in a way that makes sense to them rather than having to sit there with a purple pen and go back and check I've got all my capital letters. And in, I, I, I think of how many times I've tried to teach children measure and scales and things in maths lessons, whether in year two or in year six. And it's so hard to do that in a way that's fun and engaging. But 
by baking something. They have to do those things. And it's not a battle anymore because they want to do them. And as you said earlier, I, I feel like we need to put more more focus back onto real life applicable context for the skills that we're trying to teach them in other subjects. And basically, I'm going to plant my flag on the top of the hill that says, you know, like DT and food in particular are, are ways to do that. Yeah. And you know what? Like, I remember there was a point last year where, you know, everybody felt good about their community. You know, everybody was like doing the clap for carers and people were like checking up on their neighbors, seeing if they needed shopping. And I don't know what happened, but for me, the way I feel, I, I feel like we've lost that somewhere. Like morale is so low in like a lot of communities, you know, not only in like my locality, but, you know, when I've visited my parents, it feels very similar there. And I think something that, that you're doing effectively, like you're healing cracks in a community, you're bringing like different people together that, you know, may not have entertained it because... And that, and that's like you were saying earlier, like with the Bake Off, for a lot of people, like 10 years ago, maybe they would have seen baking as this quite stuffy thing where like you'd have to have read like all these different books and come from this like long line of bakers. And I think ultimately making it accessible and fun and like you say it's okay to make mistakes and it's okay to do tests and trials on these different things it just it's a feel it's a feel good thing for people to do so am i kind of right in thinking that the idea is that kids can kind of come and learn these skills and your the family can also have some involvement right or yeah absolutely um that's one of the reasons why i want to do so many different types of classes and workshops and things because i i want to get yeah families in and baking together i want there to be this option where kids can come in and and make friends with new groups of children. Um, when it comes to like the preschool children and the kind of stay and messy play, I almost see that more as actually a chance for, for parents to come and have a time outside of the home where they can talk to other adults yeah. and the kids can be crazy and messy and, and, and then they can just go and I'll clean up the mess. Because I think mm. there are real life factors to consider as well. And actually baking is messy. Baking with children is incredibly messy. Yeah. So I'm sure that's a limiting factor for a lot of people. They don't want to do that part because it comes with all of the preparation and all of the cleanup afterwards. And so by removing that aspect for them, they can come in, it's there and they can just do. I think we'll also hopefully encourage more people to get involved. And honestly, I'm so excited. I could literally just talk about like the 50,000 different types of classes I've got planned already. But I mean, I, I, hon yeah. I honestly think, that it is such an exciting and such a unique idea like when when you were saying about all this different equipment and all these like fun things that kids are going to be able to do all, all I could think about is in the last school I worked in we had this um oven on wheels did your, did your school have one of them I don't think we even had one of them I've, I've never worked in a school that had like a dedicated kitchen well it's not like it's literally just like something that sat in the staff room with the guillotine on top that like you'd have to give it a good clean before you used it but it, it was like on a trolley and you plug it in and honestly I remember trying to make gosh what was it I want to say it was like devil's food cake or something random like that and it took three hours to bake it because obviously it's like a safety oven <laughs> we did I think I can't remember if we did Egyptian bread or Roman bread I think it was Egyptian bread 
um, which essentially was just a really bland bread. So it's like flour, water, yeast, and that was it. And I remember we had two year two classes and we, we made the bread dough in the classroom. The children did all the kneading and everything and shaping. And then to bake it, we had to use the, the oven in the nurture room. And as you say, to bake 60 kind of little dinner roll size <laughs> loaves of bread literally took about four hours, oh just like God. two trays in, take them out, put the next two trays in, take them out. It was absolutely crazy. I, 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 and, I love things like that, though, because it's like you pull it out the oven and like, I feel like at that point, the excitement of like the whole task is kind of behind us a bit because it's like you've made it because you know that Egyptian bread just isn't going to taste that good or you, I don't know did it taste good oh to be fair <laughs> essentially bread is just flour water yeast salt salt is so important otherwise it has no flavor <laughs> so it, it doesn't taste any worse than like just a normal wholemeal roll but also how many children do you know that would actively choose a, a normal wholemeal roll over you know bleached white <laughs> crusty bread Ooh. but no it was all right but I personally I would I wouldn't have tried that much of it because also that I have I have thoughts about how many children have touched that bread <laughs> and I having spent many years working around small children I'm, I'm very aware of hygiene standards yeah I mean I remember so, when I had year six a little a little girl um I say little me I was just like 11 years old she she made me these cakes to say thank you for helping and sat. And you know when you're like, that is so sweet. Like, I am so touched, but I'm not eating that. Like, I just cut. Well, no, the default <laughs> is, thank you so much. I'll save that to have at break time with my cup of tea. <laughs> I like that. I was like, oh, have you asked Mrs. Abati? I'm like roping my TA into it. <laughs> so then she has to kind of like feel as awkward as I do about the whole thing but yeah you just kind of say thank you like it's so lovely but at the same time like I get that I'm like you definitely didn't wash your hands before you touch that but then again <laughs> I suppose the onus is on us to teach them that proper ha- hygiene which of course we've been doing a lot over the last two years yeah no one's got any uh, be... no one's got any skin on their hands left up Rob. well you say that literally I hopefully it doesn't show up on film but no <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, we're um, like, that's a huge part of food as well. And again, as I'm also a DT lead, so I know that all of those kind of hygiene and food preparation and personal hygiene all comes into DT. And that, of course, is something I'll be taking with me before we go and do our, our baking classes with kids too. But it, it literally is as, as much as you've just touched your face, go and wash your hands. You've just scratched your head, go and wash your hands. And Let's be honest, how many of us as adults would do that when we're cooking at home? Well, then, like, an- answer this right. Not meaning to put you on the spot, okay. but you know on the bake-off, right? When they're already yeah. sweaty because it's, like, midsummer and it's boiling in that tan. And they're like, oh, God, like, it's a mess. And they touch the face and then they're covered in sweat. They never, well, they certainly don't show it. They never wash the hands. Filthy lot. Well, let's be honest as well. <laughs> it's Having been someone who bakes in a tent in the middle of the summer, um, because food festivals, that's what we do. Um, I have so many more levels of respect for the Bake Off bakers. And yeah, absolutely. Food hygiene is not something you're thinking about. If it's like 36 <laughs> degrees and you are essentially trying to... like, I remember I did a uh, this previous summer, I was in Winchester for Winchester Foodies Festival. 
and I was in the the chef's theatre. So that's one with all the like the master chef champions and local Michelin starred chefs. And then there's me, the, the baker from YouTube. And I was making a um a traditional berry pavlova. So of course I'm trying to whisk up egg whites and um whipped cream and things. And I don't know if you've ever tried whipping cream in 36 degree heat in a tent. It takes about eight seconds <laughs> at most. Oh no! So in the time it took me to look up at the audience and say, "Don't leave it running too long because it will essentially turn into butter." I looked down and it had turned into butter. That's so annoying. But anyway, yeah. Um, I think the Bake Off has to be the exception to the rule because yeah, you're not thinking about like uh, I don't know medical levels of uh, cleanliness when you're essentially trying not to pass out in a heat wave. I mean that makes sense. I always feel so bad for them trying to like rush like similar things to pavlovas or any kind of you know egg based meringue it's always chocolate week when it's a heat wave like tempering chocolate is so tricky at the best of times you i remember there was one episode where because um when you're i'm not going to get too much into the science of it because that's really boring (laughs) but when you are tempering chocolate it's about raising it to a certain temperature and then lowering it to another temperature and then keeping it in that window and that's how you keep chocolate in temper and I remember that when they were trying to do it in this particular episode the tent temperature was above that top of the of that window temperature window that you have to keep the chocolate in so it was literally impossible to temper chocolate in that environment and yet that was their challenge did anybody like actually succeed in it or no. is everyone's a bit rubbish? No, of course they didn't. They they did say in the judging, like, we appreciate that the chocolate hasn't worked and we understand that. So, but I just thought, well, why, why isn't there a backup challenge? Yeah. Or, you know, air conditioning units. Well, I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? Like you, even like a Dyson fan, you know? Well, you can still <laughs> have a tent that is, you know, like, the, there's the that place now in London, the Big Bake, which is essentially like the Bake Off experience, but for Joe Public, and it's it's like a tent, but it's one of those fixed permanent marquees that you sometimes see at wedding venues. Yeah. So it's airtight, so you can put air conditioning in it. Okay. I, I don't think the Bake Off would lose anything if they had one of those instead of an actual real tent. No, like because I think they could do a lot of the interior of it. I mean so pretty like where they do it but I do I do feel for them and then obviously everyone's tempers phrase a bit which makes good tv everyone's stressed and everything melting I would literally cry there's a reason why I could never do bake-off I would literally just cry on the floor I don't do well under the kind of that extreme pressure I like a bit of pressure I need to feel the fear but yeah no I'd probably have like some sort of nervous breakdown on television have you ever heard like James James A Caster's like kind of how he describes his experience on Celebrity Bake Off. Have you ever heard his bit about it? (laughs) Which one's he? He's like the comedian. I've watched them all. He's like It's either one who said, um, had a go, had a nervous breakdown. Yeah. Yeah. He I went to see him live uh the year after that and he's like mentally scarred. And I don't say that lightly, like he's genuinely mentally scarred by it. He's like he rang he, he was in that bad of a way because he got that stressed. I mean, bearing in mind, I think he said the, the, the most baking he'd done in the last year was like put some chicken nuggets in the oven. So then he's being asked <laughs> to like mold chocolate. <laughs> and he was, and then he's like, you know, the camera's in his face. And then I think one of the runners was like, oh, I don't think James is okay. So everyone was like noticing that he's like slowly deteriorating because he's getting so stressed about 
his bake and he said that it was so bad that he went back to his room and rang Samaritans and was like, I just don't know what to do. And Jimmy Carr's going to beat me. And they're like, who is this? Like, what are you talking about? Well, obviously they didn't say that because they're the Samaritans and they're really kind, Mm. lovely people. But they were basically trying to understand this person. Obviously loses anonymity then, doesn't he? Because he's like saying that this is the situation, which is a very unique situation to be in. And he was like really freaked out by it. But I think like that amount of pressure, it can go one or two ways. And I always feel so much for those bakers who like, they're so skilled. They're not like, like like just random bakers who, you know, made a loaf of bread once that was well received at Christmas. They're like people. You say that, but actually some of them really are. Um, Really? Like, I think it's, you know, yeah, some of them are are the bakers that have been baking their whole life. And, you know, they're like, you know, I've been making my own bread for 40 years. But actually, like, to use a... I mean, I can't speak on behalf of all of them because I don't know all of them. But um, I've become really good friends with Dave Friday, who was a finalist in not the most recent one, but the series before. He lives down the road. Oh, Um, cool. And he... um, he hadn't been baking all that long when he took part in it. And Chiggs in the most recent series has, has said so many times that he only started baking in lockdown. They must but, have like a natural, I don't know. But there's that, but there's also, and I think Chiggs illustrates this really well on his social media. He, he tries things and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. And it, he's always learning and he's always like watching things and, he goes into bakeries and tastes things and then goes home and tries to recreate them himself. And and I guess that's kind of what I do as well. It's, you know, I, I didn't have any formal baking training other than, you know, making the odd cupcake with my auntie Angela or, you know, stir up Sunday Christmas pudding with my grandmother. But it's it's the fact that I've I've had a go, I've tried things, they haven't worked, I've tried again until they did work. Um, and I'll be honest, I'm, I'm not an expert in all forms of baking at all, but there isn't any fear because ultimately if it goes wrong, you can just eat it yeah. and nobody will ever see it. And then you can <laughs> try again. And I think that's what I love about the Bake Off is actually some of the people go on it and, and you can see the learning happening. Yeah, you definitely can. Yeah, you really can. <laughs> like I've I've seen... Like, you know, and also, I think it turns a corner, doesn't it, when they have a really good week and their confidence mm. just grows. And I think that's all you need, isn't it, really? Just for someone to say, like, that, that, that's decent or, you know, you're doing a really good. I mean, that's what anyone wants in any situation, really. Just some affirmation, don't they? That... But I will be honest, as a professional, I love it when they do the ridiculous things because that's when I, I mean, I don't watch a lot of reality TV. It's not my favorite format at all. But when it comes to the Bake Off, I am a diehard Bake Off fan and I will never miss it. <laughs> and I literally watch it and they're doing things. I'm like, why are you doing that? Or that doesn't go in there or you stared that for too long. And it's like, you know, most people's stereotypical idea of somebody watching the football. That's me watching the Bake Off. <laughs> It's like, it's, put it like, in I the used, fridge, put it in the proving drawer. Yeah, I used to like tweet along with it. And now I can't because yeah. literally I have so much to say that I, I wouldn't be able to take in what's going on on the show. But as you say, it's like things like they're saying, oh, it's not molded yet, but I'm, I'm going to take it out anyway. Why? Put it in the freezer. Yeah, I mean, or, that, that, yeah. That feel, I wonder how much logic goes out the window. You know, when, oh, yeah. we've all heard, I said <laughs> I would cry if I was there. So it's all well and good me in the comfort of my own sofa, like yelling all this advice, but put me there. 
I would be the one crying on the floor. You know, like, what, one thing that I don't get about Bake Off, and, like, tell me if I'm wrong in this, is that they seem to have, like, when it used to be a BBC, it was, like, obviously, you'd have Mary Berry, and you'd have Paul Hollywood, and then, like, Mel and Sue. I love Mary Berry. Oh, she's mm-hmm. so, she's just amazing, isn't she? Um, I have loads of her cookbooks. She's, like, who I'd want she, my she... nan to be, but my nan... Well. I always joke when I do like food festivals and people ask me to kind of summarize like what I see my role as in in the industry and I'm like I kind of want to become the nation's next grandmother after Mary Berry. I love that I mean my grandmother looked like Mary Berry but wasn't wasn't like her at all. (laughs) Oh my grandmother looked like the queen and was like her. Oh that sounds so like I can just you know I just had like a picture of like Lizzie whipping up some scones. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's my grandmother. That's so sweet. But sorry. So when it moved to Channel 4, but then they get like judges that aren't necessarily baking inclined. Does that make sense? So that like their background isn't completely in baking. Like no well, like no that, fielding, right? He's so funny. Yeah, but... He's not he's not a judge. He's he's a host. And yeah, Mel and too, they weren't their background wasn't in food either. So um, obviously, you know my my pre-leaf story, but if we use um, Mary Berry as an example, Mary Berry was predominantly a, a food writer, so not necessarily just baking. Yeah, she, true. She wrote about food generally. Um, Paul Hollywood, obviously, is Paul Hollywood. Everybody knows his story. But Pruleith, um is obviously the original founder of Leith's Cookery School. She's run restaurants. She's She's probably... When it comes to like a background in food, she's probably more qualified than Mary Berry. I just don't think necessarily that the shows ever really showcase that. Well, I mean, I don't mean to. Well, this is going to sound completely ignorant, but I honestly thought she was from like a, like I don't know, just like a TV background, like just presenter. Mm. I didn't even know where no, she you, came from. Like I literally, that's the first I've heard of read that. Read her like the Wikipedia page on Prue Leith. Her kind of her pedigree in food is actually incredibly impressive. But she was still really condescending to me. So there's that. <laughs> Let's hope she never listens to this podcast because she's probably never even thought another moment about that about that conversation. And I've carried it with me for like the last what however many years it's been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the, for the benefit of those listening, I was invited along to be on the Great British Bake Off and Extra Slice when it moved to Channel 4. And they asked me to be one of those people that sits in the audience and brings along a bake. But rather than just your bog standard, or oh, I made some cupcakes, I made a life-size recreation of a Kenwood stand mixer with all the baking ingredients around it and everything. So some, whenever I mention that, there's always one or two people that go, that was you. So, you know, it, it made a bit of an impression. Um, and I remember when we had the conversation that, that ended up on TV, I think most of it did anyway. She basically said, um, oh, I, can't, I can't remember how she said it. It was just something like, so did you do, you must do this a lot then. I bet you make all your friends wedding cakes and things as well, do you? And I just <laughs> kind of felt a bit like, I felt like a bit like I was being spoken down to. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's like, you know, when uh, kids go up in assembly and like you kind of say, yes. oh, and you must practice really hard for that karate or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, not that we're condescending to kids, but it is that kind of tone, isn't it? Right. Yeah. And I just <laughs> kind of felt a little bit like, I've, you know, I made this because you asked me to. Be nice. 
And as I say, she probably didn't mean anything by it. She's probably never even thought about it again. But that's the nature of who I am. It's, I guess it's uh, all these years of working in the teaching industry where nobody really ever gives you positive feedback. You learn to dwell on the negative. Oh, yeah, like for sure. I mean, I think like the whole presenting is like so exciting. Like we were saying, like, weren't we? Like if you did that it'd be so awesome because I think like you have such a great personality for it and you do a lot of like like the Kenwood stuff anyway I mean you do like the Kenwood's kids club don't you and yeah so I we that I'm for the benefit again hi listeners so the Kenwood kids (laughs) club is a is an online learning platform for children um where they can learn to cook and bake and they can become members and share their results and things but as part of that we do a weekly um uh, cooking or baking video they were live for a while but we've realized actually by making them pre-recorded you can do more because you're not obviously yeah. the kids don't have to basically watch something boil for 10 minutes or wait for, yeah, to bake for 20 minutes <laughs> so they're now pre-recorded but that goes up every single week um and I also do obviously as you mentioned a lot of my own kind of tutorials and videos on YouTube and um yeah I I, I, I do get the occasional tv offer but again being a part-time teacher does kind of have a bit of an impact on that there's only so much time you can try and request off in education yeah no like i i hear you with that i mean i kind of feel like silly for like asking you to explain this now because it doesn't feel like it naturally goes with what you just said but i mean going back to you saying you know kind of baking along and it's like okay to make a mistake i mean what what's like the worst like thing you ever baked like the worst thing for me like essentially is that it's not cooked in the middle or it sinks I just can't get them to stop sinking I don't know why but well, there are there are well, we probably should get into that now because this isn't like Rob's like baking clinic 101 <laughs> but there are, I can talk you through that afterwards perhaps but um I, th- I don't know I'm there's never been like mega disasters there's been more kind of like structural cake fails which aren't really as exciting for people I'm listening but um there was one time that I was doing a a a cook-along and I got it was a tray of brownies and I got the brownies out of the oven and I'm holding them in my in my oven glove and um my my studio where I am now is actually upstairs and so I bake in like downstairs I have a baking room essentially so it's like this is the pretty bit and then down there's where all the kind of the heavy duty stuff happens and as I was bringing the brownies up the stairs I dropped them and I don't know if you've ever dropped a tray of freshly baked baked brownies but um it's still very crumbly when it's warm yeah that that went everywhere and then there's been times that I've had like um cake like buttercream cakes in particular and taking a corner too fast around or going around a roundabout <laughs> and just in the rear view mirror watching the cake layers slide off each other and collapse down and things like that but I have been touch wood very lucky there hasn't ever been like mega disasters yeah I mean I've set a cake on fire yeah I know I've never done that but like not not in the oven like you know at Christmas you like set the pudding on fire yeah you are supposed to do that though that's normal but it 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 just wouldn't stop rob 
<laughs> it just wouldn't stop. And then it spread to like the base I'd made and then oh, good Lord. little decorations around. And then my dad was like, why did you put these stupid little decorations on? I was like, because it looked really pretty. <laughs> how, how much brandy did you put on this Christmas pudding? I drank half the bottle by this point. So probably maybe the <laughs> okay, other half. Yeah. I don't know. It's starting to make sense. <laughs> but that was the most frightening thing. And I remember like my sister just grabbing it and like literally throwing it out the back door. And it was just splattered all over my mum's patio. <laughs> well, I was going to hold this up to the screen because um, I finally have perfected the perfect way to do the the burning Christmas pudding. So, so this is mine. Again, those of you who are just listening won't be able to see this, but a blowtorch. Oh yeah, that's that's what you need. Yeah, trying to do it with a lighter and you know the, the like the tablespoon of brandy, absolutely not. Literally proper like metal. Uh, tablespoon measure fill it up with brandy blowtorch on there boom as you saw so wait you just need a tablespoon of brandy yeah you and you heat it up in the spoon yeah because that makes it more flammable then you light it um well you can pour that the really hot brandy onto the pudding and then light it or you can light the spoon and then pour it whichever works for you but yeah a (laughs) tablespoon is all you need okay so in terms of measurements i was a bit off then (laughs) Yeah, that, I'm starting now to understand why you set a cake on fire. <laughs> oh, but you said you had De- Delia's um, Christmas book. Uh, I didn't read that bit. <laughs> I was gonna, I, I'm assuming it's in there. It might not be. It's over there somewhere. But yeah, I'm yeah. sure. I'm sure. Okay, she, next, she, next, <laughs> moving. Next, next, um, next Christmas. <laughs> um, we'll do we'll do some one on one classes in the in the in the the cooking school. You can come and join. Oh, me. Rob, I would love that. I mean. I'll bring my own fire extinguisher and fire blanket in case it's an electrical <laughs> fire that I call. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I mean, it seems to happen a lot. One time, like, I burnt gravy granules. So, I mean, I'm not bad. I'm not, like, terrible. I just, so I'm just forgetful. You're saying you're not bad, but you've just said that you just burnt gravy granules. How does one burn gravy granules? So, like, essentially, if you put them in the pan and you leave the kettle to boil and the hob's already on... Uh, it's just it's just not good and the smell it's like you really you really learn what's in bisto gravy granules when you burn them it stinks honestly um but like what about best bake i mean like you've got all those amazing cakes behind you but like what's the one that you're like oh like okay oh i wish you'd warned me this question i'm sorry i'm sorry rob (laughs) so my my personal favorite is anything involving pastry. I love oh, puff really? pastry. And there's a reason why I don't bake a lot of puff pastry because I would eat all of it myself. <laughs> um, my favorite cake recipe that I've come up with is either my carrot and orange cupcakes, which I basically took oh. on tour all last year to food festivals and they went down such a storm. Or I have a chocolate mud cake recipe, which I haven't published anywhere yet because I always said that that wouldn't come out until my first cookbook. Um, but that with like milk chocolate ganache and maybe like a caramel filling is just so delicious. And then my favorite decorated cake I've ever done was I did a life size Paddington bear cake. Oh, I've seen that. Paddington. Yeah that on i literally have just shared it on my social media today because it was michael bond's birthday yesterday but yeah he sat on his little suitcase and he's got his coat and his hat and his his little please look after this bear and everything and 
that was for a competition and I'd kind of I didn't have time that week to do it like the school was crazy and I was just like I was still full-time at the time and I was just like do you know what it's not going to happen and then a few of my friends were like no you said you're going to do it get it done so I pulled two all-nighters and literally did that cake in two nights and to this day it's still one of my favorites oh it's so beautiful I mean I love Paddington anyway he's like literally one of my favorite like childhood kind of mascots it's just so sweet I mean I I definitely echo the puff pastry thing every time I've ever made anything puff pastry I do kind of like pick the crust off you like yeah you know you're talking earlier about do you taste things yeah Yeah, essentially (laughs) I'll I'll make like a huge batch of puff pastry and then I'll end up with like one pasty because the rest of it's been eaten along the way like I've used it I mean I feel like you're thinking you should never do that but you can use puff pastry like it's a pie lid, right? So I've yeah, well, course. I've used it like that, and you know, if like a bit like goes a bit crusty on the end, I'm like, oh, I like just pick it off because it's hanging over the tray anyway at this point. So it, no one's going to eat that; it's just going to go in the bin. So, I mean, that's kind of how I I eat puff pastry. We made last week. Oh no, not last week. The week before, we made these like chocolate cookies, and they were like Colin the Caterpillar ones again from like a generic generic kind of cake thing because Charlie really wanted to do it last thing on a Sunday night obviously and I got it comes with these like little caterpillar faces so we we put them in the cut in like the cookie kind of um baking tray and then I put the caterpillars on there and Charlie was like so excited to see the caterpillar faces then of course because that's white chocolate it just melted in the oven so they're just like pools of like yeah presumably they're supposed to go on afterwards they are they are rob yeah <laughs> but like they just looked very depressed at the end but you I, traumatized your child i think so i think so but you know he doesn't care when he's like eat five cookies into the batch he doesn't care so <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't really matter um i mean i just I'm so excited to kind of see where where the um, the baking school goes, and you know, I, I don't know if you want to share the name. Like, obviously, we can edit it out if you don't have like a firm well, name, or I don't know. Well, I think I'm I'm kind of I'm I'm still floating a couple of ideas around. Perhaps the listeners can tell me what they think. Okay. But I I'm known as Mr. Baker's Cakes, and so my company is Mr. Baker's Cakes Limited. But obviously, I'm not limited, see what I did there, Mm -hmm. to just cakes in the school. So I'm thinking I'm going to call it Mr. Baker's Cake School. But then underneath the the cooking, baking and cake decorating academy, so that people get that it isn't just cakes, but also that's me. That's what I've been known for for the last like seven, eight years. So I don't want to just drop that. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean... People who follow my social media must be incredibly confused because of the nature of the work I do. Bearing in mind all my social media is Mr. Baker's Cakes. I'm posting up pictures of like, you know, curried butternut squash soup because that's what I'm creating as content for this brand or that magazine. And obviously it's not a cake. So Yeah, but I mean, I I, um like you kind of say, like all all the different flavours, like even like you're using like carrots in baking i've made carrot muffins before and like it's delicious so like kind of understanding the same processes apply it's just kind of understanding the science behind that and it being experimental and fun with flavors you know so i mean Mm -hmm. i think it's like great to make content for either or 
I, I just, I love cooking. And I think that's the thing. Although, yes, I've, I've found some success in the world of baking and particularly cakes and cake yeah. decorating. I still love all types of cooking. And obviously I'm, although I might be producing two or three recipes a week for cakes, I'm still cooking dinner for myself every single night and having fun with that too. So yeah, I definitely don't want to just pigeonhole it being you come to me to learn how to bake things because actually, you know, if, if I'm one of the other ideas I've got is, you know, teenagers before they go off to university, come and have a crash course oh, gosh, in like yeah. five recipes that you can make on a budget when you're living in halls or what have you. So yeah, that sounds amazing. I mean, I think I think we should ask listeners definitely to let you know if they they have any ideas that can yeah, help if, you along with it. Sure. If you if you saw something called Mr. Baker's Cake School, the baking, cooking and cake decorating academy, would you think it was weird to go there and learn how to do something that wasn't just baking a cake? Let us know in the comments. Do you have comments? We do. We have we yeah, we, we have the comments. The comments. <laughs> What are these comments Excellent. you speak of? No, we, we do, we do. Because we, we'll, when we, we, we go out we'll, um, and we put it on social, we can, uh, we can also put like this is like a preview and then they can, they can vote still. So, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Oh, well, thank you so much, Rob, for coming on the show. I mean, so exciting to see your journey and your story is really unique. And I, I, I can't wait to see what you do next. We've already said we'll, we'll do a follow-up episode of the successes of the the cooking and baking school that you're you're going to be opening so i I can't wait to see and i'll I'll be following along as i'm sure many people will so yeah awesome i can't wait to have you down and anyone else who listens and finds me in fact if they want to to kind of follow along with the journey as i said it's mr baker's cakes on all social media platforms on my website is mrbakerscakes.co.uk so hopefully by the time this goes out there'll be already some like teasers and progress pics on getting the, the school all set up and everything so yeah sure yeah really exciting yeah well, congratulations again rob for uh, taking the thank plunge you. and following your dreams <laughs> thank you for having me i'd love to know how you guys teach baking or are you the star baker at home don't forget we've got loads of resources to support baking at home or in the classroom and did you know we also have a star baker slash star teacher apron available from our twinkle shop be sure to check it out just use the code baker10 for a cheeky discount have a great break and see you soon